Well, welcome. It is just good to be together. Easter Sunday. Uh, wonderful to be celebrating Easter with you. What a story. Uh, I was reflecting this morning that we are celebrating with about two and a half billion people around the world today who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are all gathering in their churches around the world to remember this story and give praise to God for Jesus' risen from the dead. And what a story it is. It is the one that changed the course of history. Uh, It splits it in two. Uh, It contains the keys to our relationship with God, the gift of eternal life. Uh, For Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has defeated sin. He has conquered the grave. Uh, Jesus has said, I am the resurrection and the life. All who believe in me will live even though they die. And then Easter comes along and it says to us, it is happening. It is happening. The things that Jesus promised are coming to pass. In his life, Jesus had told his disciples that he would die and then rise to life again. Uh, Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and then be raised again the third day. Uh, While his disciples thought this was a terrible idea, they try and talk him out of going to Jerusalem or they try and encourage him to be a different kind of king. Uh, Jesus has made up his mind that this is the course for his life. And so he heads to Jerusalem and he accepts his fate of dying on a cross. Uh, But this promise of rising again was well known enough amongst the religious leaders uh, and Pilate, the Roman governor, that they sealed the tomb so that no one could steal the body of Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, they'd clearly seen enough of him to know he was leading a powerful movement, and they clearly believed that killing him would nip this movement in the bud. There could be no claim of the resurrection if the tomb was sealed and guarded, produced the body. And this movement was over. But we're told, are we not, Mark 16, 5-6, that three days after Jesus was crucified, his disciples approached the tomb. We read, they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Uh, A week later, after Jesus had appeared in the flesh to his disciples, there was still one who had never been around at the right time to see the resurrected Jesus. John 20 picks up the story. Verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. 
What a great confession. And, and that kind of launches this movement onto the world. Uh, the disciples at great personal cost to testify about what has happened. Acts 4.32 says, With great power, the apostles, the disciples have now become apostles because Jesus has sent them into the world. It says they continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 20 years later, Paul, uh, who started out as a persecutor of the first Christians, has become a follower of Jesus. And he writes, I want to know Christ to know the power of his resurrection. And he writes that because they believed that what had taken place was the most powerful, life-changing, history-splitting moment that all needed to hear about. You know, it's remarkable. Within 30 years of the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, the church has spread so far and so quickly around the ancient world that there are members of Caesar's household in Rome who have become Christians. So today I just want to look at the resurrection. This amazing good news from three viewpoints. The historical, the theological, and the personal. Or to put it another way, could it have happened? What does it mean? And how does it change lives? So first, the historical perspective. Could it have happened? Uh, one question we ask when we try and determine the truthfulness of a claim is what explanation best fits the evidence? Uh, I remember a couple of years ago when we had an apartment in Manly. Uh, I came home one afternoon and the walls had been drawn on with texture all up and down the hallway. And uh, my daughter Hope, who at the time was about three, was quick to tell me that she had not done this. Which was an amazing revelation because our son Luca was still a baby and Victoria definitely prefers craft to art. Uh, the next clue was that Hope's hands were covered in the colour of the textures. And being the super snoop that I am, I put those clues together. And under the duress of being tickled, she admitted that it had been or her all along. William Lane Craig, one who defends the resurrection in public, he says, in trying to determine the plausibility of the resurrection, we begin with the evidence available to us and then we infer what would, if true, provide the best explanation of that evidence. In other words, we should accept or believe something is historical if that best explains the evidence that surrounds it. And he states that when we look at the evidence, the truth of the resurrection emerges very clearly as the best explanation. There's no other theory that can even come close to accounting for the evidence. So what is the evidence? Well, firstly, we've got good accounts of the empty tombs and the resurrection from the Gospels that we have in our Bibles. We've already read some of those today. It's not one person trying to make up a fictitious event, but multiple people who see the risen Jesus and then testify to what they have seen. And they don't take it to some obscure place and start talking about it there, but they begin preaching about it 40 days after the event 
with the coming of Pentecost and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the very city in which the events of his crucifixion and rising from the dead had occurred. As one scholar writes, the resurrection could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. And then, of course, it launched something into the world. And it launched something into the world with power. It was a message that could not be contained. It was like a champagne bottle that had been shaken up. The cork is off, and now it is out there for the world to see. And of course, the resurrection is the greatest miracle, but miracles started occurring as this good news was proclaimed. In front of large crowds, the lame began to walk, the blind began to see. And the same people who testified to having met with the risen Jesus never faltered in proclaiming that what they had seen was true. I find Charles Colson, one of... um, President Nixon's special counsel, who went to jail for his involvement in Watergate, interesting on this. He um, he got sentenced to jail because of his involvement in covering up Nixon's dirty deeds, and in jail he became a Christian, and then he became a defender of the faith for the next 50 years. And he said, "The lesson of Watergate is that a lie cannot live for long." He says, take it from one who was involved in conspiracy, who saw the frailty of man firsthand. There is no way that the 11 apostles who were with Jesus at the time of the resurrection could ever have gone around for 40 years proclaiming Jesus' resurrection unless it were true. He says, if the apostles' story about the resurrection had begun to unravel, as the Watergate cover-up did, Colson said, the apostles would have sold out to save their skins. He concludes, I know the resurrection's a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. And they kept doing it, even though they were beaten and many were crucified like Jesus had been, they never denied it. And he said they wouldn't have endured that if it weren't true. He said Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. He says, you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So I think we've got good historical evidence that the resurrection of Jesus happened. Well, what's the theological perspective? What does it mean? Uh, Beyond it being a remarkable story, Christians believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the decisive moment in human history. What gets dealt with in one weekend in those events around Jerusalem is no less remarkable than the problem of sin and the finality of death. And what Christians believe is that without our sin being dealt with, we face eternal separation from the God who created us. But in the cross, in the resurrection, sin gets dealt with and death gets defeated. 
You know, the search for redemption, the search for immortality has often led people to Jesus. Um, you know, I, I, I heard a story just, uh, just this week of someone's father who at 87 has just started going to church and has become a Christian. And I guess as the clock begins to tick, maybe you think about some of these things in deeper ways. But on the cross, we see God making a way for sin to be dealt with and grace and mercy to enter the world. And in the resurrection, we see that Jesus has now lost, uh, sorry, death has now lost its power and eternal life is now possible with Jesus. Uh, Leslie Newbig, the missionary to India, puts it this way. He says, The resurrection is the revelation that Jesus who died on the cross is indeed King, conqueror of death and sin, Lord and Saviour of all. The resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but it is the proclamation of a victory. And that's important. Because Easter is not saying this is about a defeated King who makes a great comeback. It is saying... That what Jesus did on the cross in laying down his life is the very thing that has brought us peace with God. And that in the resurrection, it means that that victory is now assured. And you know, on the cross, all the evil of the world, all the brokenness, all of the, the wrong in the world threw its weight at Jesus on Good Friday. But I could not hold him down. The sting of death is removed for all who trust in Jesus. And that's what the Apostle Paul said, the persecutor of the early church, who encountered the risen Jesus and became the great apostle of the Gentiles. That's you and me. He would go on to say to a church he planted in the city of Corinth, he said, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, for He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally tonight, from a personal perspective, how does it change our lives? And that's to me maybe the most important question. You know, I think we want to know that um, the gospel is plausible. But we also want to know, is it existentially satisfying? Does it change our lives? Does it make our relationships better? Does it help us break bad habits? Does it have a power within us that can help us overcome the things that hold us back? So what difference can believing in and following the risen Jesus make? I heard about a billboard in the States and read, you know, Jesus is the answer. And some cheeky smartass had gone and graffitied it and said, sorry, what was the question? Well, the Apostle Peter declared 30 years after encountering Jesus on Easter Sunday that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What a remarkable expression, living hope. Doesn't, doesn't the world need living hope more now than it ever has? A couple of years ago I watched um, Angelina Jolie's World War II drama about Louis Zamberini called Unbroken. 
Has anyone seen that film? It's very good. Uh, and as I normally do after watching any film, I spend the next two hours on Wikipedia, um, scrolling through and trying to learn all the facts around the movie. I got interested in this remarkable man. Um, after being a troubled youth, Sam Perini took up running. And he competed in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. And he became a star athlete. And when World War II broke out, he became a bomber. Uh, and his plane eventually crashed in the Pacific Ocean. And he almost died. He then spent 47 days adrift on the ocean in a life raft. Um, eventually, he was picked up. Um, and ended up in a Japanese prisoner of war camp where he endured constant brutality at the hands of his guards. And if you've seen the film, his courage and his determination to remain unbroken is absolutely remarkable. Um, anyhow, eventually he was rescued and... The film kind of ends there, but his, his story doesn't end with his liberation from the prisoner of war camp. The Olympic athlete, he returned to America, he was a hero, uh, he got married, he became a father, but despite outward appearances, Zamperini's life was falling apart. He struggled to cope with the horrific experiences during his two years as a prisoner of war. And so filled with nightmares, anxiety, anger and hatred, um, Louis Zamperini found solace in alcohol. And he concocted plans to return to Japan to kill his tormentors. So depressed and alcoholic, Louis was on the verge of losing his family. And then in 1949, Zamperini grudgingly attended a Billy Graham meeting in Los Angeles at the urging of his wife. Yeah. Thank God for wives who drag their husbands to church. Um, we had a few of those this morning and it was awesome. Uh, and he said, he went to the Billy Graham meeting and he got under conviction and he actually got mad because of the scriptures that Billy was reading. And he grabbed his wife and he said, let's get out of here. Don't ever bring me back to a place like this again. Now, she must have been persuasive <laughs> because somehow she got Louis to come the next night and then to come the next night. And then after hearing about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the message of forgiveness, Sam Barini finally gave his life to Jesus and he was saved. He received, in the words of the Apostle Peter, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Zamparini's natural birth had given him troubled youth, the horrors of being a prisoner of war, anger, depression, addiction, but new birth as a Christian gave him living hope. The downward spiral of his life was over. Apparently the nightmares stopped. He poured his drinks down the drain. The night he was saved. And he was born again. And one of the most remarkable things about Zamparini was how he then lived out his new life. He started a camp for troubled youth. 
where he helped boys not unlike himself who'd had difficult upbringings. And amazingly, after his conversion, Zamparini's desire for vengeance left him completely. He forgave his captors. And later he met with many of them, greeting them warmly, sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. In 1952, he was able to speak at the Sugamo prison, which was filled with 850 war criminals. He said he looked out and he saw them coming down the aisle, and of course he recognised each of them vividly. And he said, I didn't even think of my reaction. I jumped off the stage, ran down and threw my arms around them. They withdrew from me. They couldn't understand the forgiveness. And he says, we went in the room and there, of course, I continued to share about Jesus. And all but one of them became followers of Jesus. That's the Jesus that we celebrate today. Risen from the dead. Remarkable. And what you and I have always been called to do is to recognise that He is the living hope, Lord of all, Saviour of all mankind. And as we do, we turn away from our sin and brokenness. We put our simple faith and trust in Jesus and believing in Him unto everlasting life. And that's always the question. Have you believed in Jesus and put your trust in Him? For I am convinced He is risen from the dead, that my sin is dealt with, and the sting and power of death is gone. And I am convinced that there is no other name that can change a person's life. Amen. 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 Why don't we stand together?